Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning. My name is Rick. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, welcome. So glad you're here. I'm our campus pastor, and uh, we're in the middle, uh, middle of a series called Moses Unscripted. And what we've been doing is going through the life of Moses, and we've been trying to see where do we fit into his story. Moses is this grand Bible character. We see he's the great leader of a nation, and he's probably one of the, the most prominent figures throughout all of Scripture. And we often would, would compare ourselves to him and think, man, we fall so short. But what we've been finding as we've gone through his story and looked at some of the things that he struggled with, he was a guy that tried to figure out, do I have any skills that I can offer God? He was a guy that failed. He was a guy that had to come on this big wilderness journey and feel like he was lost for a number of years. And we're finding that we actually see many of our own stories right within his story. So we're going to jump in here at week four, and we're, looking, uh, we're going to pick up Moses just as he's going to meet Pharaoh for the first time. Now, has anyone ever had the pleasure of having a sumac tree in their front yard? Anyone or in, in their yard? Anyone had a sumac tree? Do you know what these things are? These sumac tree, yeah, oh, bless you. You've had, so you hate them as much as I do, right? Yeah, they're, they're wonderful to look at. They grow all over Ontario. You, if you're driving down one of the highways, you'll often see them. I think there's a whole bunch on the QEW and they're, they're kind of creeping over the sound walls. And they have those nice, big, red, uh, berry, sticky things that, that hang over. They're like the cones. And, and they just grow all over the place. They're really nice to look at. But they took up my entire front lawn. We moved into a new house about five years ago. So Amanda decided we're going to take down this tree. And anyone that loves to play with power tools, you know what that means. Chainsaw time, right? <laughs> so we went over to Home Depot and we rented the chainsaw. And then I, did, I took off every branch one at a time because I got to play with the chainsaw for a few extra hours then. And we were cutting it up. And I took down the, chain, I took down the sumac tree. And, and I think Amanda was away that weekend. And she came home. And I was very proud to show her my, my kill. I, I was presenting to her the thing that I had killed. And let's burn this or something. Let's do something else big and powerful. And she said, well, there's a giant stump in the ground. <laughs> like, well, I can't do the stump with a chainsaw. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not Superman here. So, so then we had to, so we got, we got the tree down. Then we called the, the stump guy to come in. And have you ever seen those stump removal people? Wow, they do an amazing job, don't they? And it just like flies out everywhere. And we had those wood chips all over our front lawn and it smelled really beautiful. And then you could see the front of the house and it was, it was great for about three days. And then if you don't know let me, let me teach you about a sumac tree. The sumac has roots. They don't go down very deep, but they go far. <laughs> and they go everywhere. And when you kill the big thing that comes out of the middle, the actual tree, well, the, the roots still want to live. So you know what they do? Every 25 feet, chunk, one comes up. And every, chunk, one comes up. And there are literally hundreds of roots that go all over your lawn. And every five days, you've got about 25 new little lovely sumac trees that are now on your front lawn. So I decided uh, that sumac was not going to beat me. So then we started following the roots because we could still see like, although they had done the stump, you could still see little pieces going. So then we would start to pull and and we had an entire line going down our front lawn. And then we said, well, we can't do that to our front lawn. So then we went and got 
one of those little, um, you know, you step on it and you pull it, the Roto-Rooter or whatever they call it. So we got, we got two of those, actually, because every five days there were literally 25 more trees on the front lawn. So now we're digging into our front lawn and digging into our front lawn. So after about a month of this, every five days, we now have 50 lines that are dug up on our front lawn, as well as probably 200 just potholes on, on our front lawn, because we were trying to get rid of the sumac tree, the wonderful <laughs> sumac tree. And then it was, it was spring, and you know what loves to plant itself in spring? Dandelions and crabgrass, right? So anywhere that there, we, I had just drug, dug a nice little like planting line for all of these 50 of them, just up, 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 and then, and then the crabgrass filled in. It was a wonderful, wonderful yard. And we lasted like an entire summer of doing this, and we just hated sumac trees. We would drive by, we were like driving down the highway and hope our daughter, she was eight at the time or something, she would drive by and she would go, sumac, and she, she had the anger that mom and dad had had every time. We looked at those trees and we hated them, and we went through the summer and we thought, okay, we've won. We, <laughs> we did the battle. Maybe we'll, we'll go get some of that miracle grow, and we started planting miracle grow, and in April, the little beggars started coming up again. There was like 50 of them again. So we went, finally, we went, to one, we went to like a tree expert and we said, what do we do with this sumac? And they said, oh, you can't do anything with a sumac. It's going to take three or four years of just pulling these things out. So this year, this is year four, we are sodding that ground. I, I, see, the, I see everything turn. I think the snow is gone. We're, we're believing for the best thing. So just pray for our front lawn and that everything's <laughs> Should have stuck with the sumac. <laughs> Great ideas often come with frustration and failure time after time, right? You have these wonderful ideas to do something big and bold, and you fail time and time again. And as, as we see Moses, Moses was, was journeying along. We, we were reminded last week that Moses was called to a journey, and he, God gave him everything that he needed. He, even though it was just a stick in his hand, God said, I've given you everything that you've needed. I've brought a group of people around you. He had His wife was there to step in when she needed to. Aaron was there to speak for him, and, and he had his father-in-law in his corner. And in the end, God promised success. But as we got into it, we started to look at, man, he met some obstacles. Even God set himself up as an obstacle to the mission that he had called him to. And we were, we were talking about how we have talent and we have ability and God wants to use us to build his church. And sometimes we disqualify ourselves because we say, I don't really have anything that, that fits into what God would want to do. But when we have this team around us and God's power in us, he ensures us the victory. And as a church, our mission is helping people find their way back to God. And we, we talked about how there are things that we will never accomplish as a community and in our community and as a church, we'll never do it unless every one of us steps up to lead. And it's imperative if you want to gain value from today's narrative. We're going to go into the narrative where, where Moses meets Pharaoh and, and these plagues happen. It's imperative. If we want to see ourselves in this journey, we have to buy into the idea that God created us. God created you to do something great. You have to believe that the talent that's in your hand, the stick, you got to pick up from last week. Reckon, the only reason Moses was going to Pharaoh, because he believed that God was going to use him to do something great. And he didn't have great qualifications. He didn't even see how he would fit in. But he said, God, I'm going to trust you that you can use me to do something great. And we've actually seen amazing things happen in, in our church. We, we started with 60 people in, 
in a campus and we had someone step up in our kids' ministries and say, you know what, I don't have any training in kids' ministries. I'm actually out of the corporate world, but I am designed to lead kids because God put a passion on our heart. We, we've started partnering with the MCRC and we've done baby food drives and we've we supplied all the needs for babies for their, or two families for baby food and diapers all last year because at, one of our elders stepped up and said, we believe that we can make a difference in our community. We've done food, we've, we have a youth program starting. We have seen people's lives changed because unqualified people said, God gave me something and I'm going to give it to him and we're going to see what we can do. In fact, Joe was mentioning this past Wednesday. Unbelievable. We, we, we cut off the space because we've been having these holidays party. We had holiday parties and we usually have about 50, 60 people. We saw 40 brand new people come out on, on uh, Wednesday night and just connected with the church family and, and understood that there were people that, that cared about them. There was a church that cared about them and, and their family. We had one of the couples from the church step up and say, we'll even lend our photo booth and we'll donate our time and our photo booth. And if you, we had these little strips of, of uh, you can see it in the corner there, the, the very back corner, the kids, would, the Easter bunnies getting their picture taken with four or five kids. And it was an unbelievable time because God's people decided, I have a talent, <laughs> I'm going to give it, and I'm going to see what happens. And our church is going to do great things when we all decide to partner into this mission. But we want to decide to, we want to look into what happens when we meet adversity, when we step out. Because any new project that we start, whether it's digging a sumac tree, whether it's trying to get a program happening in a church on Wednesdays, whether it's trying to invite someone out to come be a part of the journey, whether it's serving in our community, whatever it is, it will be met with adversity and it will be met with failure. When you're starting a new project, I just have a thought for you. When you're starting a new task, at what point do you normally give up? And we have, a, we have this thought, we're going to have a... At, at what point do you normally give up? Let's throw the, the points out there, Amanda. We've got the first one. When you're told that your idea is not a good idea, do you give up then? What's the next one? When you run out of resources to keep your idea going, is that when you give up on your great new idea? When something really goes wrong with your idea, do you, do you give up? Or what's our last one? When you are the only one that's left driving and believing in this idea, at, at what point are you ready to give up on something good? Just have a quick conversation with those around you. At what point, just take five seconds, share with, share with somebody that you came to church with. When do you give up on a good idea? When, when you're told it's a bad idea, when you're out of resources, when something goes wrong, or when you're the only one left doing it? <laughs> <laughs> All of them. <laughs> You're just ready to give up. <laughs> you know, these are things that happen with all of our ideas, right? We, we encounter, whether you're starting business, whether you're starting church work, these things happen. And if we give up, nothing gets accomplished. And what we're going to find is Moses actually persevered through every one of these challenges. So we want to walk you through this part of this story and pick out three key principles. If you're taking notes, you've got notes in your bulletin. If you download the Portico app, you can fill your, the notes in digitally. But Moses had, had just started out on this journey. He believes God's going to call him to do something. And he, he actually believed that God had called him to lead millions of Jewish people out of the land of Egypt where they were being held as slaves. And he shows up at Pharaoh's doorstep. And if you, you don't know the history or the political scene at the time, Pharaoh would have been the key leader in the entire world. The entire world was coming to Egypt's doorstep for resources, and, and he was the guy. In fact, he was viewed as a god. And Exodus 5 and 1, here's where we picked it up. 
Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord God of Israel said. This is Moses the shepherd with a stick. Not a great idea, not great resources. He went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Now, do you, rem- like, I, do, do you remember the grade five history? I believe this is grade five history. You go back in, you learn about Egypt. And sometimes you go on that field trip to the Rom and you see all the Egyptian gods and all that. Pharaoh was placed at the very top of that. Pharaoh was the god of gods in the culture. So Moses walks into front of what they believe to be God's palace and demanded that Pharaoh submit, that he lose all of his workers, and that he be shown inferior to this Jewish god that Moses is talking about. By all rights, he should have been killed at that moment. <laughs> the minute that he walked in and said, let the people go so they can worship another god, they should have killed him. What do you suppose Moses was thinking was going to happen? God, god had called him. He was following God's orders. In Moses' mind, do you think he probably thought God is going to do something? He must have thought God was going to do something amazing. He wouldn't have been in front of Pharaoh unless he really, really believed that God had called him to do it and God had gifted him to do it. And he says, let my people go just like God said. And what does Pharaoh do? (laughs) Here's what Pharaoh says the very next verse. Who is this Lord that I shall obey him and let Israel go? I I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Man, what a letdown that should have been for that must have been for Moses. He had just stepped out to do what he believed he was gifted and called to do. But Pharaoh wants to play a little game with Moses. Instead of killing him immediately, then he sends Moses back to his people and says, so your people want to go and worship in the desert? They want to hold a festival? You know what? They must not be busy enough. We'll make their life harder. And he took away some of the resources that they were using to do the construction and said, you're not allowed to decrease in your output of the, of the construction that you're doing, but you're not going to have the resources that you had before. He, they, Pharaoh took away some of the straw. So, he, so he, they become more harsh and their conditions worsen. And then Pharaoh says, now Moses, you go back to your people and see how that goes. <laughs> so now Moses goes back and the people are upset at him and Pharaoh's upset at him, but that doesn't deter Moses. Moses said, I'm going to keep going because I saw God do great things. He did miracles in front of me. He did the burning bush. When I threw my stick down, it became a snake. So I know God's got more tricks up his sleeve yet. I'm going back into Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses didn't give up when the people turned their backs against him. So Moses walks back into Pharaoh. Aaron throws down his, his rod, and it becomes a snake. And then Pharaoh looked over at his magicians and says, can you guys do that? Because his guy just did that. And so they all throw down their snakes. And so Pharaoh says, you see, you're not doing so great. I'm a god too. You've got a god. I'm not letting your people go. And then Aaron's snake comes over and eats all of their snakes, enraging Pharaoh all the more and saying, I'm going to make it harder, but I'm not letting your people go. Things just weren't going his way. Again, at what point would you throw in the towel on the mission? God had called you. Pharaoh had showed that he had powers. Everybody was against him. That's a great point to quit. (laughs) Just say, God, there must be another way. This isn't really working the way I envisioned it to work. And so you must have called me to do something else or do it another way. I'm going to back off. 
And then we're about to go into this part where they're going to experience 10 different plagues. Now remember, these are not Bible stories. These are real-life natural disasters taking place in the largest city in the world at the time with horrible infestations of insects and sickness and, and water spoilage. Could you imagine if just one of those things happened in a place like New York or London? Or Could you imagine if one thing like that happened, the outrage and, and the devastation that, that we would all be in, uh, um, alerted to and there would be make a big deal out of nine things or ten things are about to go horribly wrong in what most historians believe to be out of a period of about four months. And as we, we're going to track through Exodus uh, 7 and 8, and the first thing is from Exodus 7 verses 14 through 24, if you want to have your Bible open, flipping notes, we're not going to read them all today because it would be an extremely long morning. But the first time Moses goes back, demands that he lets his people, that Pharaoh let his people go. So then Moses turns the Nile River into blood. Now he didn't just turn it into red, he turned it into blood. It says all the fish died, everything that was living in there. It began to stink. It was completely undrinkable. And in fact, if you're reading in Exodus 7, it said that the people had to dig new wells along, the other bank, uh, along one of the banks of the Nile to access some water that they could drink. Now, the average well, we're thinking, we're estimating, would have been about 40 to 50 meters deep. They would have had to dig this. How long does it take to dig 40 or 50 meters down and four meters across? Would you, would you estimate one well? Would you guess? I, I have no idea. A weeks, a month? I, if they got everybody together and they really dug really deep, really hard, they had nothing to drink, remember. So their, their water source is now gone. There's only blood to drink. They would have had to travel somewhere else to get water. I think they would have been really impassioned and they really would have started digging. And that's one well. They would have had to dig wells for the entire nation. And it says that after about seven days, probably as they were just getting down the fresh water and just getting ready, then the water turns back to regular and the, the, the blood goes out. So now God's starting to toy with people too. Like, well done, everybody. I'll give you your water back now. <laughs> See, imagine it's the, it's, it's the spring season. You're going to be out there. You're going to be working in the garden. You're going to be digging up, don't dig up sumac, but dig up something else. You're going to have to dig up weeds. You're going to have to plant. Imagine how... Or, you, you know how painful it is in your back and in your legs after one day? They would have had to go seven days straight just digging wells. So Pharaoh's not happy with Moses at this point. And what's fascinating is as you go through the ten plagues, each plague was specifically an attack against one of the Egyptian gods. The first, this, this first one was against Happy is, is the name. I believe that's pronounced right. I have no idea. We have a picture of Happy there, Amanda. And it, this, it, was a, it was both male and female. It was a god of fertility and a god of the Nile because the Nile gave them life. This is why they, they, were, they were situated along where they were, where, where their capital was, was because it was a, it was a rich place of, of um, growth and of beauty. And so Happy, they believe, was the god of the Nile. So the Lord God attacks Pharaoh first as God, then he attacks their Nile river god, showing his power. So now Moses goes back to Pharaoh again. And he says, he says okay, your water's back, but I'm going to team the entire uh, Nile river with frogs, and they're going to go all throughout the nation. This is still an attack on happy. And it's curious here that the Bible states that both of these miracles were replicated by Pharaoh's magicians, that the magicians were also able to turn water into blood, and they were also able to create frogs that could, that could, that could come out. And we're in a culture um, that we don't necessarily think about 
how anyone could do magic. Every magic trick that we look at, we think it's probably some kind of sleight of hand or they've kind of they've fooled us. But Pharaoh lived in a culture where he, he, he had magicians who were able to do things. The only logical answer out of the Bible, if, if, the, if we're to believe in the Bible that God had power, we also have to believe that there's a dark side to power. We see all throughout Scripture, there were people conjuring the dead. I don't know, if you go into the Old Testament, you remember Saul wanted to conjure the, the spirit of the prophet Samuel. And we have here where Pharaoh's magicians are turning the water into blood, and they're, and they're creating frogs out of nowhere. They were accessing some kind of dark power. So now Pharaoh looks at Moses and says, well, you must be like one of them. Because my guys can do that too. You must be accessing some kind of weird spiritual power. So he now has respect for Moses, but he's still not convinced. None of it sways Pharaoh. And in Canada, we don't, we don't interact with the dark side of spirituality or even maybe our spirituality in the way that in other places in the world they do. But, but there's, there's, there's a concept here we need to understand. There is a spiritual battle going on. There is, a spiritual, there is a battle between good and evil. And scripture lays out time and time again, there were fallen angels. There were, Satan is active. There are things that happen that are in the spiritual realm that we don't even consider. But Pharaoh's aware of this, and it doesn't, it doesn't sway him. So the next plague comes out in Exodus 8, 6 to 19. There's this plague of gnats, it's called. And if you want to understand what the plague of gnats is better, it's like lice. Your kids ever had head lice? Not a horrible thing to, to, to deal with, and you're picking it out, and it's all over. There was lice over the entire nation for a period of time. Horrible little creatures. They can shut down our schools. They bury into our skin. They live on our scalp. And at this point, this is the point where Pharaoh's magicians are stumped. They were unable to replicate the trick. And Pharaoh's magicians say to Pharaoh, we can't, we can't do this one. <laughs> so you may want to start to listen to what's happening. But still it's an obstacle in Moses' way because Pharaoh isn't letting go. He's not convinced. He's now just maybe convinced that Moses is a, is a more powerful magician than his magicians are. It's also interesting to note that in the first three plagues, it says that it, it doesn't make any mention that Israel was spared. So Israel still had to figure out how they were going to drink. Israel still had frogs all uh, uh, all over the place. Israel still had to deal with the lice. From plagues 4 through 10, it says that these didn't affect the land where Israel lived. It's not until the fourth plague in Exodus 8 and 22 that God mentions he's sparing Israel. If you were Moses at this point, would you give up? Four plagues have happened. The magicians are now saying, let him go. The people would, the people would have been so enraged with Moses because these horrible things are happening to them as well. Their lives, are, their lives have gone downhill since Moses said, I've got a great idea and God's called me to do this. Everybody's against him. Don't you give up at that point? Leslie was ready to give up when uh, he ran out of resources. <laughs> we all are, right? And if you want to track the next five plagues uh, and the gods that they line up with and the gods that they attack, you want to head out to, we have a, a growth night on Tuesday nights in uh, in Mississauga, Pastor Joe kind of digs a little bit deeper into what we've been talking about on Sundays. We don't have time to get into all 10 here. And actually, we're got in a, we have an exciting announcement that Leslie is going to be working with uh, Pastor Joe. And on Sunday morning, starting not next week, but the week after Easter, we know that it's not convenient for people to drive into Mississauga at 7 o'clock on Tuesday evening. So we're going to replicate that on Sunday mornings from 9 to 9.45. If you want to grow a little bit deeper, go dig into the scripture a little bit deeper, because we only have 
35 minutes or so on Sunday mornings. Leslie's going to be leading that class, the Growing Deeper, on Sunday mornings, 9 to 9.45 next week. So we're really excited about that. And it's just a chance, if you're not connected with a small group, or even if you are connected with a small group, it's a chance to study the Bible a little bit more. So put that on your, put that on your calendars, and if that works for you, great. There's, there's no kids program, there's no coffee, anything. We're just coming to study the Bible. So come on, it's same thing as what happens uh, Tuesday nights in Mississauga, but it would be a chance to dig into it a little bit more. But we want to spend our final moments this morning, maybe the last five minutes or so, looking at how we deal specifically when we have a call, when we have a dream, when we have something that we feel God has gifted us to do, and everything around us falls. There's just obstacles. There's just opposition. We need to remind ourselves that opposition is not an indication of failure. I asked you before, what would cause you to give up on a new project? Who said that they would normally give up when they are told it's a bad idea, just honestly, when somebody tells them it's a bad idea, yeah, we have a bunch, right? When, when, when we have an idea and somebody says, uh, that's not such a great idea, we put way too much importance on what other people say, don't we? Do you know Oprah? I went back and looked at some people that, that had succeeded beyond this. Oprah was fired as a reporter because she involved too much emotion in what she was broadcasting. Think of Oprah's empire, and everybody's a winner, and she's got a whole, a whole uh, TV station now and channel now. She's got this going because when somebody told her, you've got too much emotion in what you do, she said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think this is what I have. Steve Jobs started the Apple company. He was a multi-billionaire by the time he was 30 years old. They fired him from Apple, from his position, because he drove people around him too hard for excellence. And Andrew knows that Apple is nothing but excellent, right? <laughs> he, he doesn't love Apple, but, but uh, he was <laughs> let go from his own company because he said, no, I'm pushing for excellence and innovation in our company. And they let him go for a while, and then it, the company began to fall off. And they said, no, we need, we need that guy back that was pushing against what everybody said we should be doing. Opposition is not an indication of failure. It's just evidence that we've ruffled feathers. To do anything great, you're going to have to challenge people to re-envision things because people don't like change. Pharaoh certainly didn't like the change that Moses was proposing. The Israelites hated the change that was happening to them. But look what happens in Exodus 9 and 35. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. How many great ideas have been shut down because of the limited minds of those we share them with? As we were preparing for this morning's message, we thought, you know, that there are three giants of opposition that, that come against us. There's human opposition, there's spiritual opposition, and then there's the opposition we bring upon ourselves. In this case for Moses, it was Pharaoh that was opposing what Moses wanted to do. In other cases, it might be somebody that's actually on your team that's supposed to be your advocate, but crushes the dream that you want to do. But the thing is, if God gave you the dream, if God gave you the ability and not someone else, then it's not their role to step up and make it happen. If God gifted you, placed you somewhere, it's not my role to make it happen. It's your role to make it happen. And nobody likes change, and everybody is going to fight against change. Which of these situations are fun for you? When you walk into work and you're told, everybody's changing offices today, so spend an hour and pack up your time and then find a new office. Is that fun for anyone? Does that... No, okay, it's not fun for, because it's not fun for me, or, or when somebody says, you, hey, we're going to change your hours a little bit, so it's going to affect, like, the way that you, when you come to work, when you leave from work, you're going to have to refigure out your commuting schedule and your family. Does anybody like that stuff, when somebody just forces change on you? It might even be good change, 
Like this might be a beneficial, this might be a benefit for you, changing the office, changing your hours, but you don't like it right away because it means something's going to change. Did you know that on the stress scale, when we're, when we're dealing with people who are, who are dealing with um, too much stress, the number one thing is death of a loved one. Second thing is uh, divorce or breakdown of a long-term relationship. You know what the third most stressful event is that a person can, can experience? Moving. <laughs> Why do we typically move? Because we want to move. We, we, we want to, yeah, you're back at, yeah, you know, right? Okay. <laughs> We, we move because we're choosing to move. And it is the third most stressful thing that we will ever experience. Why? You need to find a new grocery store. You need to find new furniture. You need to find a new way to get to work. You need to find a new doctor. You need to find new people to connect with. You need to, everything is new. And we like it in our minds. We know this is beneficial for us in the end, but we resist anything that's new and it causes, it causes stress. It causes opposition, which is why every new idea that you have is going to be met with resistance. And every great idea will be resisted. And it doesn't, and it doesn't mean it's not worth doing. The dream that God gave you, the ability that God gave you, will be resisted, and it's still worth doing. And sometimes it even goes deeper than human resistance. Another, op- another giant of opposition is this spiritual. God clearly said he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart and make this a long process. God called Moses, and God made it hard for Moses. Both of those things are true. I would think, God, are you serious? You called me to do this and you're going to harden his heart and make this a horribly long, painful process? Why would you do this? Because God's timing is not our timing. He knows things that we don't know. He knows the lessons we need to learn. God had this whole back and forth planned out for Moses and Pharaoh and Israel and Egypt to go through, proving his strength not only to the Jews but also to the Egyptians, building trust within the Israeli people. And if we believe God is in control... Sometimes we have to trust that he's controlling things. Now, that's a really redundant statement, but, but think that one through. If we believe God is in control, sometimes we have to trust that he's controlling things. He called Moses to do it, and he made it difficult along the way for no other reason. He was going to have to do the miracle to let him go anyway. But God said, I've got a, I've got a plan. I've got timing. Just trust that this is a spiritual thing that's happening. You know that sometimes we even impose obstacles on ourselves? It wouldn't take us to come up with a long list of reasons why we are incapable and unqualified to do the thing that we would like to see done. We limit ourselves with our mind. We limit ourselves by the way that we live. This was, this was Moses too. Moses tried to convince God he was unable and unqualified. And many of us choose daily to walk away from the thing that God has gifted us to do, that called us to do, that in fact will be an amazing thing for us as a church and us as a community and us as a people of God because we think, I don't have time, I don't have the ability, I'm going to choose something else over what God's called me to do. And obstacles are not proof that your idea is wrong. They're just proof that they won't come easy. This is why I told you, it's in, when we started this morning, it's so important to believe that you have a gifting, that you have something that God has called you to do that is unique to you that will not get done unless you do it. Because whether it's humans that oppose us, whether it's a spiritual thing that's opposing us, whether it's just our own selves, we can't get out of our own selfish way, we're going to meet opposition. And that doesn't mean we're supposed to give up. Obstacles are not failure. But obstacles and opposition are or is an invitation to remain dependent on God. Moses was a murderer. 
Moses was a traitor. Moses was a foreigner to Israel. He was a farmer by trade. And the only way he was ever going to work through the calling God had for him was to recognize that God was going to have to do it. I'm not sure which would have been the most terrifying part of his journey. Whether it was standing before his friends and family, the Israelites, telling them, I'm going to be the one that's going to lead you. <laughs> would you want to get up here this morning and say, guys, I have a plan and I want to lead us as a church. That's, that's scary, right? That's not easy. For, but God has called us to do that. God has called us all to lead. Whether it's standing before Pharaoh and demanding freedom, whether it's standing before the powers that be and saying, I really need to be able to do this and you have the power to let me do it, so <laughs> how about we do this? <laughs> That's not a fun thing. Well, maybe it was when he was about to throw down the stick and, and say, watch what God's going to do with this stick. <laughs> that would have been horribly terrifying, right? Or when he's promising that the Nile River is going to turn into blood. Man, opposition is an invitation just to remain dependent on God, recognizing that if he's called you to do it, he's going to do it anyways. What obstacle is stopping you from stepping into the role God has for you? Do you know even Paul, the writer of the New Testament, dealt with this? 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thing that tormented away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and I love this, I think we have this verse up here, Amanda. My grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Man, I love that. <laughs> that God's called us to do something great and it's only in our weakness, not in our ability, that his power is shown perfect. What has God called you to do and why is it stopped? What is preventing you from getting there? The last thought is that opposition is inseparable from building a legacy of faith. And listen, there's verses in your notes in Exodus 10 and in Matthew 5 saying that we look back and the people will know that God is great because of the things that we step up and do today. I was talking to our students about this on Friday, young people. It, this is not defined by age. God does not call adults to serve. God does not call qualified people to serve. He calls people that believe in him to serve and to step up. In fact, he said the kingdom of heaven belongs to children because they trust and they don't think they have it all figured out. And if you want to lead, you have to be the least. So you're not excused from this this morning. Sorry about that. If you believe in Jesus, your call is to step up and lead. And you will face opposition when you step out into the thing that God wants you to do. And the legacy that you will leave behind is unbelievable. This is the story of Moses. It's the story of a man who moved past opposition and allowed God to do something amazing, changed the lives of his community, his nation, and he left a legacy that in 2017, our entire church is looking back and tracking through going, wow, I could do the same thing. There's a lady in Brantford. I grew up in Brantford. Anybody know where Brantford is? Wayne Gretzky... That's about it? <laughs> no, Alexander Bell, he did the telephone, yeah. The old telephone, not the new telephone. There was a lady that started a Bible study in Brantford probably 30, 35 years ago. And she invited my mom out to a Bible study, a group of ladies. 
My, my family, if you know my story, no faith at all. My mom goes out to this Bible study and decided that I'm going to invite Sue Carroll out to church. And Sue, or out to this Bible study. So Sue Carroll went over and had coffee in her home and they studied the Bible and they were, they were studying the book of John. And the book of John leads people through to a decision to say, wow, like God loves me so much. And my mom said, guys, family, we need to go to church. And we said, no, we're not, we're not going to church. <laughs> we don't really like church. And she said, no, no, I, I've been learning this stuff in this Bible study by this one lady, and there's four ladies. And I'm telling you that my mom would study the Bible for the next 15, 20 years with this lady. They did, if you ever heard of Precept Ministries and KR, my, my mom started an entire thing in Brantford with Precept Ministries because one lady decided to start a Bible study. And then there was one person at Echo Place United Church that said, I'm going to start a, a kid's choir. And, and they had these horribly puke yellow choir robes that they would put children in and put us up on stage to sing in front of parents and grandparents and parade us around. Everybody clapped. Yay, it's Christmas. <laughs> the children are singing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the only reason I went to church was because there was because I wanted to sing. I needed to perform. <laughs> I, I didn't go on Sundays, but I went to choir because somebody said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll start a choir. And then in my high school days, I played hockey, and there was somebody from the church that said, we can get ice time at 5 in the morning on Saturday mornings, and I could start a hockey league for, for kids who just want more hockey. That is a horrible time to get up. It started at 5, so we had to be there at 4.30. And these were adults with families and jobs and said, but I can, I can do that. So I went to the, the CBHL. My friend told me it was the Cool Boys Hockey League. It was Christian Boys Hockey League, but he didn't have the heart to tell me it was a church thing. <laughs> so I went with him. And I went to church. And there was a guy who led a youth group on Friday nights. I was connected with this, and I went to church. I told you many times I went because there was girls in sports. And I met Jesus on a Friday night because somebody said, I'll lead a, somebody said, I'll lead a Bible study. Somebody said, I'll lead a choir. Somebody said, I'll lead a hockey league. Somebody said, I'll lead a youth group. And I'm, I'm at Jesus. I've been leading it at our church for the last 15 years. Our church is different. Good or bad, I'm different. We <laughs> Our church is different because somebody said, I will do that. And I'll tell you, I bet none of those things started very easily. They all met opposition, but they were called by God to do it. And some of you are called to leave a legacy of faith that in 30 years they will look back and say, oh my gosh, it's only because so-and-so said, I'll do that. And Moses did it with a stick, so don't tell me your gift isn't good enough. And Moses faced more opposition than you and I will ever face. Hatred by his brothers, hatred by the leaders. And he still did it. I believe that right now God is instilling dreams of what's going to happen in our community when you and I lay down what we have for him. We could be influencing the future leaders of our church, of our community. We need to stop seeing the opposition and start seeing the one that has overcome the opposition. I want, I want to pray for you, and then Heather's going to lead us, and we're just going to let God speak to us for a few minutes. And God, I thank you for this moment, this holy moment right now where we believe you are speaking to people. God, call us into service for you. We lay down our abilities and our, our talents, our time. And if you can use Moses, who was afraid and just had a stick, then you could use me. 
And Lord, I pray that we see your power, not our limitations. Lord, I pray we see the dream. We don't see the naysayers. Lord, I pray that we see the legacy that will be left behind when we step out and serve into these different areas. So Lord, in these next few moments, as we just listen to your voice, as we sing, as we respond, I ask God that you speak to us very clearly about next steps that we can be taking. We want to be the people you've called and created us to be. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this in your name.